Welcome back to the Doxology Podcast. I am Lucas Stock. And I am Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Please join us and thank you for joining us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. We are back with a new episode, not an old episode, a little bit of uh, scheduling mishaps led to us uh, reposting what I think is a really good episode. And you all agree. You all really liked that episode. It did really well. So thanks for checking that out. And hopefully this one is as interesting. I think it could be. I I guess it depends on what you find interesting, but it is for me. Um, I think this is going to be a fun one. Um, I don't really know how to introduce it beyond kind of trying to just start, I think. I think we're going to be sort of ascending a mountain of potentially weird takes and uh, maybe some things that you never expected to hear in the Bible or about the Bible or whatever. Or this is totally old hat and you already know all this and we're just, you know, wasting our breath. Nah. Or maybe somewhere in between. But uh, I think to, to, to start, maybe, we'll, we'll start with sort of the, the launching point, which is the transfiguration, right? Um, I think that that, you know, I, I have, um, I think in your notes, you put down the account in Mark, mm-hmm. uh, Mark 9, is it? I yeah. have Matthew 17 open here. Um, we didn't really plan this, but I'll just read the transfiguration uh, account from Matthew 17, and then we'll kind of start from there because this this is this is the launching point, like I said. So Matthew 17 in verses one through I'll read through um, I'll read through 13. All right. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, but they did not, and they did not recognize him but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. That last part, we might not get to quite as much as as the rest of it, but um, hopefully that's a a somewhat familiar story. Um, But if not, like I said, you find it, uh, I just read Matthew 17, and it's also in Mark 9. Can't remember if it's in Luke, um, but I think it is. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, it's in in all of them but John, the the, the first three. Um, it is quite a, quite an exciting story. It's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite feast days in the church calendar. Um, it was just a couple weeks ago and, 
Um, there are lots of really exciting things to talk about, but we're going to talk about the most obvious one, which is time travel. <laughs> um, what? Uh, and, you know, that's not really a joke. Uh, so what are we, like, What this was your idea, so I kind of want to kick it to you now. Um, having gone, like, read through the story, so we kind of have ourselves situated, how, how do we look at this story and get to time travel? Yeah. And obviously there's a million other things that we can and should and will talk about today, um, at least some of them. <laughs> but, uh, but like, what's, what's sort of the... Like, explain, get, help us get our bearings with why I say we're talking about time travel when we just read The Transfiguration. Yeah. So, I, for the life of me, cannot remember who it was that posted this, when it was posted, but I remember reading on Twitter somewhat recently. I mean, I went back through, like, my liked tweets and retweeted tweets and tried to find, like, did I share this? Did I like this? I couldn't find it, so I apologize. If you're a listener, like, let us know so we can, like, give you credit, but also so we can talk about this more in depth. But somebody on Twitter said something to the effect that like one of their wild takes is that Moses on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. So in Exodus, when he's receiving the law, you know, he's on he's on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, that part of that 40 days and 40 nights was some sort of time if we want to call it time travel, if we want to call it like a vision, if we want to try try to call it some sort of uh, disembodiment. But like what, what this person was trying to say is that like when Moses appears on the mount with Jesus and the disciples, it's almost like a uh, it's some sort of like maybe mirrored experience and... I don't know. That's that. It was a very weird, strange. Again, this is this is weeks ago. I, I'm only just sort of remembering what they said um, off the top of my head. I wish I could have found the tweet to read it uh, in full so that I did it justice. But I think maybe you've you've already read you've already read the Matthew version. I want to read Exodus and then I want to just like read a couple of verses from the Mark version of the Transfiguration to like see the similarities, okay? So Exodus 24, 15 through 18 says, then Moses, and the the Septuagint says Moses and Joshua, which is interesting because Joshua is like the name is Jesus, so the same name. But then Moses went up to the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. All right, so that was Exodus 24. Now let's read Mark 9, 2 through 9. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, and no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared uh, to them Elijah Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, uh, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, uh, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but them with Jesus only. So, 
regardless of if there's some sort of time travel uh, that that was sort of just like anecdotal maybe it is something we'll, we'll that you have more to say on when i when i like approached this i was like whoa the the story of uh mount sinai of of receiving the law where moses is up on this mountain is like very similar there are, are, are a lot of parallels there's uh, so there's actually like um eight similarities really uh we have this is taking place on high mountains obviously moses is involved number two number three the glory cloud uh number four is this mention of six days uh there's a voice coming from the midst of the cloud uh tabernacles are involved in some way a uh assistance of some kind there you know the moses has uh aaron and joshua who are not quite at the at the peak of the mountain with Moses, but like they're there, they're near him, just like Jesus has uh, his three disciples. And then there's also like the people. Um, but it's just really interesting because the events of Sinai, I think, do prepare the way for the Mount of Transfiguration. And really it, what this is meant to signify, I think, is that the abiding presence of God is dwelling with man. Um because if, when you when you compare the story of Mount Sinai to this Mount of Transfiguration, one of the key differences is that Jesus returns from the mountain to remain with his people, whereas God did not descend down the mountain with Moses. Um, the other thing is that Jesus is the new and better temple with the new and better covenant. Um, so it's it's really interesting. Like when when I've read the story of the transfiguration in the past. I've been like, like, what the heck is the point of this? Like, what is happening? How are they seeing Moses and Elijah? How do they just know that it's Moses and Elijah? It's not like they have pictures. I, I, I mean, maybe there were like cave paintings somewhere or maybe some sort of tablet they had like, here's a historical rendition of what Moses looked like. I mean, who knows? Those things maybe are lost to history. But somehow Jesus' disciples knew that Moses and Elijah were up on this mountain with them. Just very interesting. And so again, if even if we don't want to say this was quote-unquote time travel, how are Moses and Elijah there? In what capacity? Are they there bodily? Are they there in like some sort of like spiritual form? Uh, is this, uh, you know, did they did they come out of the, the presence of the Lord? Um the other, the other weird thing that like gets me a little hung up because if, if you guys have listened to our episode on Christ's descent to the dead, uh, we've made the point that um, that there's that there's like these two compartments. There's a in in Sheol, there's the, the 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 dwelling of the righteous and the dwelling of the unrighteous, or you want, might want to say Abraham's bosom, um, and then like you know the pur uh, not purgatory, but like. Uh, why am I blanking on the word? The the uh, the other side. The, there's the chasm that cannot be traversed. Um, so this this transfiguration is taking place before Holy Saturday. So if Moses and Elijah are there, how how are they there? Uh, did they leave Abraham's bosom? Were they in the presence of the Lord and they left the presence of the Lord to go down onto this mountain, or was there some sort of spiritual supernatural phenomenon that was taking place that allowed Moses and Elijah to appear on this mountain though to them they were in their own day i don't know i mean what what think think of things like um you know john in revelation he he gets this vision of the future what does it look like to get a vision of the future like is 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 he transported to that place of the future and he's there and witnessing it or is he simply just getting a vision in his sleep or is he like 
awake but still seeing this vision like you might think that time travel sounds a little corny or kooky or like foreign to the bible but some weird stuff happens in the bible i don't know that's that's sort of like what inspired me that's sort of what uh motivated me in this conversation so i guess i'm curious to see what direction you took some of this well i think there's a few things we need to like take note of and think about to get a grasp on what the connections are and what's going on um and i wish i had like thought of a more planned out way to bring these up but i think so the first thing is what is like what is happening on the mount of transfiguration right and one of the things that i think is most important is that we have we have the appearance of the trinity which has happened before if you if you're reading through the gospels at the baptism of Jesus, you have Jesus himself. You have a voice from heaven declaring that Jesus is his beloved son with whom he is well pleased. And you have um, the spirit descending like a dove. In this case, you have a cloud, which the cloud, uh, you know, God's presence appearing as the cloud, the Holy Spirit appearing as a cloud is not new to anyone who's read the Old Testament. Not only in the story of Moses receiving the law on Mount Sinai, but we can also look at um, when the temple is built and the uh the shekinah glory cloud uh appears we can look at the cloud of pillar and fire or i guess pillar of cloud and pillar of fire um uh leading the israelites in the wilderness so so you have this trinitarian appearance like like i don't know the, the best word for it but you have very explicitly you have the trinity um here on the top of the mountain like the, the, these three disciples are 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 being brought to the top of the mountain and they're they're meeting God face to face. Not that they haven't already met Jesus face to face, but but they're 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 getting a a more we could say full or maybe more uh, intimate picture not picture but encounter with God, right? And we also saw that at Sinai, um, we saw that with Moses, the cloud overshadowing or, or uh, descending on the mountain, and, and then the voice of the Lord coming to Moses out in the midst of, uh, out, out from the midst of the cloud. Um, I would argue you also have Christ there. I, I, I don't know where it is. I can't remember, but um, I think that it's, it, there's, a, there's a safe bet to say that Jesus, well, for one, he is the word, and what does Moses bring down? He brings down the word of God, the law. Um, and then for the other thing, there are verses, I can't remember where, that speak about the law being given through angels. Um, and typically, you know, I would argue the angel of the Lord is the second person of the Trinity in the Old Testament. So perhaps there is a connection there. Um, I mean, but, even on the mountain even, in, in Exodus uh, thirty three eleven, it says that Moses met Yahweh and talked with him face to face. What, yeah. what does that, is and, it hyperbolic language or did he actually speak face to face with the second person of the Trinity? Yeah, I think he, I, I think it means what it says, you know, yeah. I think he, and, and so, so there, there's another piece that I want to bring up that we haven't brought up uh, on the mountain transfiguration. They don't just meet a lot, uh, Moses, they meet Elijah and um, in first Kings 19, which is the chapter after Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal and there's that showdown on Mount Carmel and, and you know, God 
uh, burns the offering that Elijah offers uh, miraculously, and, and then Elijah kills all the prophets of Baal or the priests or whatever. Um, the next chapter, Elijah runs away <laughs> because Jezebel is going to kill him because he killed all her prophets. Um, and where does he go? He goes, so there's, you know, he's he's running away, he's weak, he's dejected, God miraculously meets him, and, um, well, you know, an angel miraculously meets him and uh, provides him with food, which sustains him for 40 days and 40 nights, and where does it sustain him for that amount of time too? Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, you might be saying, oh, who cares about Horeb? What the heck is Horeb? Well, <laughs> Mount Horeb is, I know this is going to sound like I'm lost my mind at first, Mount Horeb, Horeb is where Moses received the law. Wait, I thought you said it was Mount Sinai. In Deuteronomy, when we're, when we get uh, sort of the, the second, uh, like, account of um, Israel in, in the wilderness receiving the law, um, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse... Oh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Verse 8. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days, 40 nights, neither ate bread nor drink water. Uh, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and, and so on and so forth. And then he, he goes on to remind them of the golden calf and everything. But the point is, um, in Deuteronomy, it is Horeb. Now, whether Horeb is a different name for Sinai, whether they're two different places that um, that sort of came to be associated with each other, or whether they're, you know, names for different sections of the same mountain, maybe, maybe different peaks or, or different, you know, whatever. I don't know. Not, not, not super important for my main point, which is that at Mount Horeb, which is called the Mountain of God, both Moses and Elijah ascend the mountain and there is a just oh, and by the way that story of elijah when he gets to mount horeb is where there's like the 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 wind and the earthquake and the fire and then it's the still small voice where where he but both of them at mount horeb which is called the mountain of god there's reference to 40 days and 40 nights it, it's there going up the mountain and then they have encounters with god face to face where god speaks to them um both moses and elijah that's what's important because now in, in the Gospels, we're back on top of a mountain where God is meeting people face to face, right? At the top of a mountain, you know, and uh, there's, I mean, there's all the parallels with the Exodus story that we, we read a little bit ago. And um, what, like, you know, those are sort of the connection points that I, that I want to... I want to like stitch together on one side Elijah and on the other side Moses with the, the story of the transfiguration. And I, and I don't think that it's an accident that it talks about six days, that it talks about the mountain, that it, that it, that it uses the same language of, uh, that we see earlier in Jesus' baptism, that it talks about Moses and Elijah, right? Because there, there's, there's a number of things that are important about that, but it doesn't say Moses and Joshua. It doesn't say Moses and Aaron. It doesn't say Moses and Abraham. It doesn't say you know, Moses and Jacob or, or whatever. Um, but it's, it's there, there's, there's a lot of things that are being communicated here. And I think that these connections 
lead me to say, uh, yeah, I actually think the Bible does talk about time travel, and I think it's happening right here. And I think that in as the 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 saints in the Old Testament are on the top of the mountain of God, and they are experiencing because because what is the presence of God, right? That's 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 the beatific vision. That's heaven, right? That's like what. <laughs> What is time to the, the, the blessed Trinity, which is the creator of all that is, seen and unseen, right? And that is, exists out, is not bound by time, right? It seems like a small thing for him to bring his chosen people of Moses and Elijah into this encounter with the incarnate Christ, right? Because... We, we, we already are, are kind of saying that they're encountering God on the top of the mountain. And what does that mean? That means they're encountering Jesus, you know? It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're encountering Jesus in the same way as we do, obviously, or that uh, they're encountering him the same way as the people, you know, like, like, like Joseph and Mary or, you know, his, his uh, you know, his friends when he was growing up or the disciples during his ministry or anything like that. But um, we get this this cloud, this voice, this, and I think that it's I think that it is sort of a collapsing of time. At, it, it's sort of it's 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 almost like a, a brief glimpse through sort of a funhouse mirror where we see, you know, the perfected, glorified, um, f- perfectly fulfilled and restored creation where. What's what seems to us this this you know uh, unchangeable law of time marching forward in a linear fashion just sort of melts away in the presence of God and His people coming and encountering Him. And you brought up questions of like, oh, is this some kind of like spiritual apparition? Well, I mean, it doesn't say that. It says they were there, and I don't think I don't think Peter would want to build a tent for a ghost. You know, like it seems to be assumed in the story of the transfiguration that Moses and Elijah are there. And then the last thing I'll say, what do Moses and Elijah represent? The, Moses is the lawgiver and Elijah is the greatest of the prophets. And the the law and the prophets, which is a which is a I guess it's not really shorthand, <laughs> at least not in English, but it it's a way of speaking about the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Moses the uh, the law and the prophets are are in, are together witnessing to and and speaking to Jesus. They are pointing they they you know just as they always have from the time that they were first written and compiled and put together you know before Jesus was born. Um, they they are pointing forward to him and and he is he is ultimately their fulfillment. He is he is their their uh, their telos the reason you know they're they're you don't have the law and the prophets sort of disconnected from Jesus and you don't have a witness to Jesus without the old Testament. You know, there's a reason that we have both Testaments. It's not, it's not optional. It's not just like a long prologue to the real deal. Um, and I think that, that while I might have just sort of thrown a lot of things that are disconnected in some sense, uh, I think that those are all really important considerations when we're talking about interpreting the transfiguration, but then also sort of my reason for saying like, yeah, I think this is literally biblical time travel. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I'm inclined to agree. And I, I'm even 
as I'm saying this, I'm even more persuaded because Luke's account, which we have not read, which I want to just briefly touch on a couple of the verses because it adds in some interesting details. Um, So it says he took, Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. I'm curious what that means. His, His appearance changes and his clothes become dazzlingly white. Suddenly... So, like, in an instant, like, did they just, like, appear? Like, they just apparate? Like, oh, uh, suddenly, two men were talking with him. That's Jesus, uh, Moses, and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, this is where Peter says, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. And then it goes on to talk about the cloud overshadowing them, the voice, and and all of that. But it's just so interesting. Like this this whole encounter, this whole experience, I'm just trying to picture what it's like to just be uh, Peter, John, and James. You're just like three fishermen, three dudes. Like you're, you, you live in Jerusalem or you live in Israel and you are suddenly following along this guy who you, you kind of believe, you kind of trust, but like some people really don't like him and he says some weird things and he walks on water and now we're up on this mountain. We think we're just praying and his face is changing. Like I, I want to know what that means, that his, his the appearance of his face changes and his clothes suddenly just become like dazzling white. Just, well, where does this happen before? Who wears a veil because people can't bear to look at his face after he's been in the presence of God? It's Moses. Right. And when does that happen? When he's in the presence of God, talking with him on the mountain. He comes right. down and they're like, what's up your face, dude? And so I think that that's, that's another um, point of connection, right? That's another... Yeah. Uh, um, it's a, it's just it's it's another parallel where where and it's not that Jesus is coming into contact with God in in some different way because he is God but it's that his I, at the top of that mountain I think I think that we can say that that his glory you know what does it mean that he's transfigured his that's his face changes right it's it's changed transfigured his his figure is changed that's uh just kind of what it means literally and that's that's because the glory you know he's sort of revealing his glory maybe in a way that it's not revealed in the day to day, but we see that that would make perfect sense because we see the, we, like we've said, we see the Trinity there, you know, and, and, and the same thing happens, um, to Moses. And, and so, so it's not totally out of left field. Um, again, for people who know the old Testament, like Peter, James and John did. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's, it's so, I, I love, I love that the the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially, because that's where we're seeing this story um, of the Transfiguration. It just is it's it's captivating. It's it, it the way the ways in which they they weave these narratives together. I mean, we haven't even mentioned, especially this Luke this Luke passage. That the next little segment of Luke chapter nine is the power of Jesus over a demon. Um, and it literally happens the next day after they're coming down the mountain. They're, they're literally coming down from the transfiguration. A large crowd meets them and they begin crying out um, for Jesus to come take care of this uh, this guy who a spirit is seizing him. 
Um, he suddenly shrieks and it throws him into convulsions where he foams at the mouth, um, severely bruising him. Uh, and it scarcely ever leaves him. And so like, he, <laughs> this guy's like, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Um, and so, man, just like these, these crazy stories, this, these things of, I mean, what happens when Jesus or what happens when Moses comes down the mountain, you know, the, there's the, the whole golden calf thing. Um, but as we've sort of said here is like when Jesus descends down this mountain, it's not, it's not just another man who, who's going into the, the camp of, you know, sinful and broken people, but we're talking about Jesus, the incarnate Lord coming down the mountain and continuing to do what he came to do to, I mean, namely, obviously save his people from their sin, uh, but to release them from bondage. And in this case, a very real spiritual bondage where this boy was overcome by a demon um, but still doing, like I said, what he came here to do. And I like that you sort of gave us, you know, why Moses, why Elijah? Cause I wondered that too, you know, why not Isaiah? Why not Jeremiah? Why not whoever? Like all the, why not Abraham, the father of Israel? Right. Um, and I, I was reading a commentary on the, these passages and someone noted that a lot of modern day commentators will focus in on why the mountain isn't named. It just says they go to the top of a mountain. You know, they don't call it Horeb. They don't call it Sinai. They don't even call it some other mountain. They just, it's this vague mountain. And so many commentators spend so much time talking about this, that um, this commentary that I was reading made the point that like, you're almost missing the point like uh, of what is happening here. I mean, Matthew, Mark, and Luke through this rich, web of illusion of of illustration of 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 narrative um they declare that that jesus is the very yahweh that met and spoke with moses and elijah on sinai um i mean this is it's pretty incredible like we we somewhat take it for granted i think because we're christians who have two thousand years of church history and we, we we've read our bible you know you've probably heard this story of the transfiguration a thousand times but what you what you lose is the 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 realness of to be a human who was in a first century Jewish context who knew their Old Testament who knew the the heroes of the faith. You think of like Hebrews uh, is it eleven Hebrews thirteen the cloud of witnesses, um, the people who would have read these gospels, um, I, I think would have been just like overcome like the, all this language this is language of the old testament this is language of of moses and elijah and moses and elijah are there they're actually doing it again uh, but in some way in our time like moses and elijah were on a mountain in the first century ad like what is what is the deal with that um so i don't know i i don't know how how much else you want to say here? If there's any like concluding thoughts, if yeah. you had any other examples of like weird things that happen. I mean, there's like stories of Jesus, like suddenly disappearing from a crowd that was trying to overcome him. And obviously even the visions that we've already mentioned of other prophets. Can, mm-hmm. can you think of other weird, just when we say time travel too, I should probably clarify. We don't necessarily mean, you know, someone got in their DeLorean and <laughs> went back to the future or something i mean we're, we're we don't necessarily about, mean they didn't well right that's i guess that's also true <laughs> no I'm, I'm kidding but I'm it's kidding. it's some sort of uh i think some sort of spiritual um experience even one that maybe doesn't happen today but it certainly happened then i mean i don't think there are other real parallels to this 
specifically, you know. But another thing that we didn't really mention that that comes to mind is why does it talk about six days and 40 days? And I, I think we have to remember, like, like anytime you see these these numbers, like they're there for a reason, you know. And where else do we see six days? Well, it's Genesis one. You know, what is that connected to? It's creation. And what is what is Jesus? He is he is he is, you know, why is he here? He's recreating humanity. He's recreating the world. Um and, and what about forty days? Well, we've got the forty days of the flood, right? And and what is the flood? It's judgment, yes, and it's recreation. It's 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 a second, it's sort of a second chance, so to speak, um, for the world where it has been corrupted. And, and then you see the 40 days of, um, or I'm sorry, the 40 years of Israel in the wilderness. You know, that, that in a sense is, is again a kind of judgment and recreation, right? Where the people of Israel are judged for their unbelief and that generate, you know, they're told that that generation will die will completely die out and nobody in that generation will get into the promised land. So in that sense, you know, where you could think of it like, well, you know, this generation, you know, gives birth to the next and then dies. And the next generation is sort of a recreation of Israel, so to speak. That, that you know, I don't want to, I mean, it's the same Israel, you know, it's, it's their children and all that kind of, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm not trying to go too off the deep end. I'm just saying like, I think that both in the six days, obviously, and even in the 40 days, we get this connection to creation and recreation that that really only makes sense in light of Christ, right? Um, oh, is it Ephesians or Philippians where Paul talks about um, Christ recapitulating, sort of sort of summing up all of creation in, in himself, like sort of undoing everything that that had fallen and been corrupted by by the old Adam and the new Adam is sort of. Uh, you know, undone, sort of reversed, the curse is reversed in, um, in Jesus's life. That, that, that motif of recreation, I think, is, is really important to our understanding of the gospel and especially our understanding of like the actual like life of Christ, not, not like his work, but like his actually being born and living a whole human life, you know? Um, but anyway, um, that was just something else that we, that we, we mentioned the, the six days and the 40 days thing, but, but I think, I think that's another element of that connection that, is super important, I think, for, um, for for sort of seeing the connections in the context of like salvation history, mm. of of like creation, and then and then the process of redemption that God goes through throughout all of Scripture. Um, and I think it's just it's just the only concluding thought I have is it's just amazing, like what the transfiguration is, you know, and and it's not it, this isn't the only story that does that, but like what the transfiguration shows us and tells us is, I mean, there's, there's no, there's no words for it, you know, like, like to, like you were saying, like just to imagine, try to imagine being there and trying to imagine, you know, being those three disciples who get to witness that, who get to experience that, um, that, that very specific face-to-face encounter with God um, is tough to try to describe. Well, it's, the, it's what they that, had all, like humanity had been longing for this since yeah. their demise, since they fell into sin. This has been what we've been waiting for. Like you said, to see yeah. the face of the Lord, to know him, to be redeemed, to be glorified even, to one day 
have the hope of being like Moses and Elijah who, who were in appeared in glory with him. Um, so that's, I mean, we today, what can we take away from this story is like, this is what we also get to look forward to, to behold the face of Yahweh. And you know, you can almost get chills thinking about it now. Yeah. And I like, you know, we, a long time ago, also we had an episode where I got to blab for the better part of an hour about Hebrews 13. And, and we, 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 we do this every time we gather for worship, we get to ascend Mount Zion, the mountain of God. That's where we've come to the new and better Jerusalem. We get to the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not yet, but it is. It, it, it's not yet, but it is yet, you know, um, and, and the kingdom of God is the church and we get to encounter him uh, week to week, day to day in the worship of, of his body gathered together to give him praise and honor and glory. And um, this is what we this is this is this is a look at what we are sort of experiencing the foretaste of now, but what we will experience in full forever you know in um in glory at 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 the fulfillment you know the the uh the consummation of of the kingdom fully and that's uh you know to just to be given this brief story is such an amazing gift let alone imagine being those three disciples um five disciples really if you think about moses and elijah as well being given um their mountain encounters so to speak. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, I love the transfiguration. It's so cool. I learned a lot from the, from the, um, what you, I, there were a lot of things I didn't realize were connections with Moses. Like uh, even when I, even going into this, looking for the connections to Moses, there was a bunch of things you said that I hadn't even noticed. So like, it's just crazy. (laughs) Like there's, yeah. That, that's where I'll end it because I have nothing nothing else to, See, to add, as a, add other than just crazy. <laughs> yeah, as a biblical studies major, as somebody who, like, this is what I was into when I was at Moody, like, this is the stuff I love. Like, seeing all the biblical allusions, to see parallels, to see even, like, biblical theology. Like, a biblical theology of mountains. Like, I want to read a book about, like, all of the, from, from start to finish, like, you know, Eden being on a mountain. Um Mount Sinai, uh, all Mount Mark, Mount Carmel, Mount Horeb, like all these different mountains. Like what? What do these? Maybe uh, what do these reveal throughout Scripture? How how does it all progress? How does it culminate? Uh, you know, a city on a hill, uh, the 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 New Jerusalem being. We talked about like that weird like four cubed like weird vision. I forget where when when and where we talked about that, but I remember you and I talking about that somewhat recently. But like that, this is what I enjoy talking about it's super cool to see uh some of these parallels so yeah i mean without any Maybe further we have ado, a, a, a mountain episode or, or a mountain series coming up in the near future i'd be down i'd be down well let's conclude as we do with a, a word from the valley of vision this prayer is called faith it says my god i bless thee that thou hast given me the eye of faith to see thee as father to know thee as a covenant God, to experience thy love planted in me. For faith is the grace of union by which I spell out my entitlement to thee. Faith casts my anchor upwards where I trust in thee and engage thee to be my Lord. Be pleased to live and move within me, breathing in my prayers, inhabiting my praises, speaking in my words, moving in my actions, living in my life, 
causing me to grow in grace. Thy bounteous goodness has helped me to believe, but my faith is weak and wavering, its light dim, its steps tottering, its increase slow, its backslidings frequent. It should scale the heavens, but lies groveling in the dust. Lord, fan this divine spark into glowing flame. When faith sleeps, my heart becomes an unclean thing, the fount of every loathsome desire, the cage of unclean lusts, uh, all fluttering to escape the noxious tree of deadly fruit, the open wayside of earthly tares. Lord, awake faith to put forth its strength until all heaven fills my soul and all impurity is cast out forever. Amen. Amen. Always good. Always good stuff. Well, I was right. At least, as far as I'm concerned, that was a fun one. So, thanks for coming up with the topic and pitching it. And also, thank you for listening, tuning in to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, we are on Twitter. Well, our Twitter exists. Um, I'm not currently on Twitter checking it like I used to. But uh, at Doxology Podcast, uh, where you can... uh, tweet at us or send us a dm and uh also you can send us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com like we always say we want all manner of feedback questions or episode ideas i mean tell us what we did right tell us what we did wrong uh you know we love interacting and especially getting to turn our our uh, listeners feedback into you know things to talk about in the future i think that's just like the coolest part of of getting to interact via the internet with with people so we'd love to hear from you and uh until next time we'll see you